Welcome to your new favorite podcast, OMLS, with your host, Aryaman Varma. Here, Aryaman chats with religious leaders, economists, and modern philosophers to help shine a light on the dark corners of economics and religion. So without any further ado, let's kick off this episode. Welcome, listeners, to another insightful episode of the OMLAS podcast. Today, we have the distinct pleasure of hosting a luminary in the legal world. He's a senior advocate, a distinguished author, a KC, and a profound thinker. His book, Yes, I'm Opinionated, Musings of a Lawyer on Governance, Law, and Policy, has garnered acclaim from some of the brightest legal minds. Please join me in extending a warm welcome to the one and only Mr. Sattvik Varma. Right, to get into it now, could you please tell us a bit about yourself and your personal journey and how it has led you to where you now are? Thanks, Ariman. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast. I have to say that this is uh, my first and for a person who's not uh, as technologically advanced as some of you, um, I hope... Uh, we get through this without a glitch. Um, so a little bit about myself. Um, well, this is my 26th year in the legal profession. I currently practice, as you said, as a senior advocate, which is the equivalent of a King's Council in England. Um, I litigate and my areas of specialty are corporate commercial disputes, shareholder disputes, insolvency, um, and um, contractual disputes and, and, and violations. You know, as I like to say, boring stuff uh, like that where we're splitting hairs and yeah. reading between the black and the white. Yeah. Um, so um, I did an undergraduate degree in um, history as my major with a minor in, um, in um, political science. Right. Um, I... Uh, did law after that at the Delhi University. Both of my first, my undergraduate and my law degree are from Delhi University, post which I did a master's in law and Harvard Law School. Went on to do the New York Bar, where I'm uh, a qualified uh, New York state attorney and a license that I've kept alive for 20 years. And post uh, my original um, admission to the bar, I worked on Wall Street for several years at an investment bank and then came back and uh, have, slowly made my, have slowly made my way to where I find myself currently, which is a litigating senior advocate. Sure. And um, you, of course, published a book called Yes, Unopinionated, Musings of a Lawyer on Governance, Law and Policy. And obviously it's an amazing title. So can you please share the inspiration behind the title and um, yeah. give our listeners an overview? of the key topics covered in your book. Yeah, absolutely, Ariman. Um, so um, it's a bit of a play of words. One of the things I realized when I was doing my master's at, um, at Harvard was that unlike people in the Western world where you are in the UK or uh, in the US, where there's a emphasis on writing and tutorials, uh, in India, our system of education uh, at the stage when I went, bear in mind that I was doing my master's 21 years ago, uh, we did not have an emphasis on writing. Fortunately, that's changed a lot. 
earn and currently you do. But when I was there, I realized that um, that was one of the, you know, drawbacks or setbacks for me. And so I took it upon myself to start regularly writing on current topics of the law. Um, well, current affairs makes it easy to publish. I've published over 180 articles in every leading newspaper in India and abroad. Um, and so current affairs, and, and I used to cover topics of governance, law, and policy. That's one of the things I learned. I didn't want to extend myself outside of what my area of specialization or quote-unquote expertise may have been. Uh, why I picked the title is, um, well, you know, look, typically lawyers tend to be very opinionated. We're quick to form opinions. Sure. Uh, we're quick to, you know, judge a situation depending on the brief that we're holding. Um, and, you know, I perhaps have taken uh, my vocation a lot more seriously than others because, you know, um, I, um, I, I can be fairly decisive fairly quickly, which is not to say that I'm not open to change or being uh, convinced otherwise. Uh, and therefore, I played with the words. This is also a compilation of some of my most treasured opinion pieces published in papers. So it was a play on words of my opinion pieces versus my um, personal conviction and beliefs to say, yes, I'm opinionated uh, and really put it out there that there's no reason to hide in the fact that we sure. do have strong opinions or tend to have strong views on matters. Sure, that's amazing. And um, what impacts do you hope your book has had or will have on the legal discourse in India? So, you know, that's something that um, soothes my heart that you asked that question, because one of the topics that I've written extensively about um, from when I published the book in 2017-18 and we're working on a redraft potentially was uh, the opening up of the retail sector in India. Uh, given the fact that India's local businesses, handicrafts, crafts, tradition are very strong for a long period of time, foreign brands are not allowed to come in. So, for example, um, IKEA cannot come in, could not originally come in directly, then it could come in directly, but could not come in in a multi-brand format. So. The entire retail sector was subject to a lot, um, and when I say a lot, I mean a lot of policy regulations. Uh, it was a sector that interested me. Um, I'm a big consumer of retail, <laughs> and it was a sector that um, that I wanted to write about, and I wrote almost 10 pieces on it, um, and I regularly chipped away to try and help shape the policy that eventually led to opening up of the sector. So that was a very gratifying experience. Um, yeah. And what we call, it was indirect advocacy because I wasn't, you know, out there in the center. I wasn't an activist holding banners. Um, I wasn't litigating on it in court then. But I was really chipping away. Uh, and a lot of my opinion pieces formed a part of the research for the Department of Policy while formulating its new regulations. So it was very gratifying that I was help, I was able to help in 
somewhat a limited way to bring about that change, which sure. is what I initially wanted to do when I set out, you know, writing these articles, right. which is to bring about some kind of change and make them effective rather than just, you know, ramblings of, uh, of a lawyer. Right. And so would it be fair to say that that's, you, you know, that's the main issue that resonates with you or is there another specific issue that you particularly um, are passionate about? Um, you know, so I think, um, as I said, you know, as, as, as lawyers, uh, we tend to ramble on, right? We, we, we uh, can speak at length. We can dissect the situation. We can analyze it. It's our analytical and thinking abilities for which people come to us. Um, and that feels great. Uh, but to really see from thought to action something motivated me and what excited me about this um, and, and about my whole journey of writing. And what I'm also passionate about is that by writing uh, in under 900 words, you have to present a issue. Sure. You have to present arguments on both sides of the issue. Um, any research that you've done on the issue, any best practices, and then give a conclusion or leave the reader with thoughts. Uh, you know, try doing that in uh, 900 words. Trust me, it's not easy. Sure. So um, I would be lying if I say it didn't help hone my advocacy and my personal writing ability skills. Uh, but that was a byproduct. My my main uh, passion to write this was to help shape change um, in the uh, policy landscape in India. Sure. And obviously you've mentioned, um, you know, how difficult it would be to get all this information effectively down in 900 words. And so how would you best recommend people and how, how do people, how should they get better at doing this skill? So I'll give you a cheat sheet for this. So when I was studying for the New York bar exam, which 21 years ago was considered and perhaps continues to be considered one of the toughest exam in the sure. world, I think. The yeah. year I took it, the pass percentage was 32 or 34 percent. So um, it's a very, very strenuous exam. We used to study for almost 18 to 19 hours a day. And uh, the, the program that I used to or everyone in the U.S. does um, of a particular service provider follows a mechanism called the CIRAC mechanism, C-I-R-A-C. And I tried to uh, adopt that in my articles as well, where the first C stands for conclusion, the I stands for introduction, the R stands for research, the A stands for analysis, and then the last C is conclusion. So conclusion, introduction, research, analysis, conclusion. Uh, that's a method I followed um, for putting my thoughts down in 900 words. Uh, kind of like a tasting menu, right? Give sure, sure. your audience and readers uh, a taste of what is it that you're writing about within the first three sentences, um, enough to want them to read again. Remember, a 900-word article is just a four-minute read, uh, but you've got to make it enticing at a time uh, when social media has brought down people's attention span to less than 12 seconds. Um, how do you keep your audience or a reader captivated 
is critical. And so um, I would pretty much start off with a um, either a very clear or a very decisive or a very provocative first statement. Yeah, course, yeah. Uh, you know, to the point, cut through the chase um, to entice uh, almost the reader to read for the remaining three minutes and um, 48 seconds, given the attention span. Of course, I think, yeah, it's necessary to have some sort of controversial or bold statement just appearing from the page. Um, but so do you think you still is that is the CIRAC model still something you use to this day or have you adapted it? No, I still continue to use it till this date. It's holding me in good stead. I use it in my legal drafting uh, and opinion work that I do. I use it. We use it regularly in some of the research and notes that we do for cases. Um, I think it always helps, right? I'll give you an example, um, not literally in that sense of a CIRAC, but when you're arguing a case in court, it helps to tell the judge the structure of your arguments uh, and see which point of your structure they are more willing to gravitate or they are gravitating towards or they are more willing to listen to in detail. Uh, it just makes that interaction and exchange a little more meaningful. So uh, even if I don't use it in a literal sense, uh, there is a derivative of it. As I said, it's hold me in good stead. If it ain't broken, why fix it? And I use a derivative uh, on an ongoing basis even now. Sure. And um, as a lawyer, I'm sure you've experienced many of these. But could you recount a particularly challenging ethical dilemma that you faced in your career and um, how you went about resolving it? Uh, interesting question, uh, Ariman. And, and to be brutally honest, uh, lawyers often face ethical dilemmas. Um, where I practice law, uh, it's, a, it's a somewhat relatively small business community. People tend to know um, each other. It's a small, you know, um, um, it's a small substrata of business people. Uh, bear in mind, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, I went to high school here. I did my first two degrees. Sure. There's a lot of affiliations, friendships, um, and oftentimes um, one of the biggest dilemmas, and frankly, I wouldn't even term it as a dilemma because um, I have a no-nonsense policy um, when it comes to Chinese walls, uh, meaning thereby that my business is my business, and it doesn't mix with my pleasure. Sure. So, you know, what I discuss, I have a, as lawyers, whether it's in the UK, whether it's in America, whether it's in India, we tend to have access to a lot of information. We tend to have access to a lot of confidential information. We tend to know more uh, than a lot of, um, you know, uh, other people, at least from the legal landscape. And I have made it a rule, Ariman, that I do not discuss my business outside of work. So my spouse also, uh, you know, not invariably, almost never has any information um, about my cases or the parties involved. I'm doing even this um, podcast separated from uh, the family 
assuming I am doing a phone call in earshot of my wife, I will, uh, I'll make sure that I'm neither, you know, I'm not taking names so that mm-hmm. there can be no flippant conversation. Um, so I think, you know, there's several times you have dilemmas, uh, you know the business family, you're taking issues, people reach out to you, people try and, uh, you know, establish friendship, connections. Uh, but as I said, um, I'm also a fourth generation lawyer, so yeah, um, and, and, and our, our lawyers, our uh, biggest trait is uh, the fact that, you know, my and I have inherited this from my dad, who's a stickler for rules. And I am um, I know I have a no nonsense policy on that to take it forward. So work is work. Pleasure is pleasure. The two don't mix. We don't talk about what we do in court or the information that I have. Um, yeah. If, if I yeah. tell you, then, um, yeah. Of course. So. Being, being a lawyer, you need to have some confidentiality about you. So always. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I was intrigued by your article on abortion. So what are your personal views and what do you think should be the ideal law on abortion? You know, Ariman, again, a very good question. Uh, it's difficult to, um, um, you know, law is not like a mathematical equation which brings you to a ideal or a precise uh, answer. Of course. Uh, so there can't be an ideal law, and an ideal law today must always keep pace with the changes in society and and mold itself with the developments in society. Um, my view on abortion uh, is that, you know, um, the lady must have the right to agency, uh, must be able to determine um, and make a fair choice. Uh, there's a fair bit of data around the world that compelling someone to go through with abortion, uh, with with um, a pregnancy despite their wishes uh, also has effects on the life that you're bringing in. Now, by no means am I uh, anti-life, not at all. Uh, you know, but I think uh, there are various circumstances in which people get pregnant. Um, uh, you know, they can be forcible sex. They can be rape that makes people pregnant sometimes. There's, it's not been contemplated. Uh, they are certain, although science has developed tremendously, uh, but as a parent myself, I know that there are certain tests that reveal certain alien uh, ailments fairly into the 40-week pregnancy period. I think it's around 24 weeks that yeah. some of these tests reveal what can be potentially harmful um, ailments. So I really feel that there is a very thin line and a fine balance, a delicate balance, between uh, the, the, the life of the fetus uh, and the long-term benefits. But as I said, eventually it must, uh, you know, circle around and hover around the rights of agency of a pregnant uh, mother. Sure. So I know I'm sort of pushing you into a bit of a corner here with a, with a tough question. But of course, it's, you know, abortion is very dependent on thousands of circumstances, but it's, you know, something like rape um, is obviously not an anti-life 
decision, but more just a moral compass decision. So where would you draw the line between like, how could you um, sort of what, what would you make as the law? Would you say that abortion is only permissible if it's, um, you know, if, if it's to do with rape, et cetera? Or you ha and how would you police that if that was the case? So look, uh, you know, um, um, I like how you frame that question, Ariman, but while you were trying to articulate your question, you may have uh, noticed the inherent difficulties in your own question to try and have law solve a societal issue, right? Sure. Now, you may very well turn around and say, well, every issue that the law decides is a societal issue. Yes and no to some extent. Commercial disputes, contractual disputes, shareholder disputes, disputes regarding funding, money, you know, stakes, exit. These are not, these are not societal specifically. Sure. But when you were articulating your question, you yourself were, and forgive me, I'm not being hard on you, but you were struggling on what is the best way to have the law address a societal issue. Of course. And I think the law is only a tool, Aryaman, to assist in that societal issue. It can't be the only solution provider to that issue. And therefore, society and individuals must be able to take that decision. Uh, it's very difficult, Aryaman, to pinpoint a straitjacket formula. You know, it, it's unlike... Um, Unlike making a cup of noodles where it's open a cup, put the warm water, open the sachet, leave it for four minutes, stir it. Um, it doesn't work in, in, in something as sensitive, which is why I said it's a very thin line between the right to life um, of the unborn fetus and uh, long-term concerns between the parent and, and, and the child. Uh, God forbid there were to be issues. So... I don't think there is a precision with which we can answer yeah. that on what are the circumstances. But yes, I do believe that um, things like if it is rape, things like if there is a birth control uh, failure or deficiency in a birth control mechanism, uh, if there are ailments, uh, I think we need to be able to push the envelope definitely in those cases. Um, the intention here is not to make abortion whimsical. Uh, the intention here is not to make, uh, you know, abortion um, um, almost like, uh, you know, uh, like you, you, you can't, you shouldn't be able to just, uh, it's, it's not like ordering a pizza that you cancel your order 20 minutes after because the delivery is late. Totally understand that. But, I do believe that, especially in a country like ours, um, where sometimes in remote parts and villages people are not educated, they must have the right to agency to make their choices and determination. Sure. And finally, what advice would you give to young law students who aspire to make a meaningful impact in the legal field? Oh, wow. Do you have another couple of hours to go over that question? <laughs> What's the one so, piece of advice? Uh, you can only have one piece of advice that you'd give. Uh, 
Okay, will you give me two? Okay, good, good. <laughs> let's you can have two. Let's, let, let's test my negotiation. You know, so listen, uh, on a serious note, what's the one piece of advice that I would give? I think, as I said, it's difficult to give one piece, but let me make this in bullet points and, and, and try and see if this can be done efficiently in the interest of time. Uh, one, there are no shortcuts in the legal profession, Aryaman. Sure. Um, it's a lot of hard work. Uh, it's a lot of work. It's uh, running a marathon and not a sprint or a race. And you have to have the tenacity and the durability to last that race, uh, that, that marathon, sorry. Um, if you run like it's a race uh, and want to get to the finish line quick, uh, you'll end up making shortcuts, taking shortcuts, making mistakes. You, uh, yeah, you'll be, you'll be out of be, breath before you're even halfway there. Absolutely, you couldn't have put it better. I couldn't have put it better, rather. So yes, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be out of breath. You may get there to the finish line, but the long-term, um, you know, sustainability of that is sure. difficult. So really, look at this as a marathon, not a race. There's no shortcuts. A lot of hard work, uh, as you brought out in your uh, podcast. Uh, I can see no difference in a place like London or elsewhere. Uh, really, you know, you've got to set your own moral compass and you've got to really set your own boundaries on what is it that you're willing to do. Um, I don't do criminal law, but I do white collar crimes. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I can't think of one time when I've had a doubt in doing the right thing. And when I say right thing, I mean, doing things by the book. Um, I think that's important. Uh, again, no shortcuts to try and get quick relief to a client. Uh, don't try and play a system. Uh, don't try and work a system. Don't try and, you know, um, uh, don't try and fool a judge. Uh, right. Really play by the book. This is a long innings. It's, it's, it's you know, um, you're a cricketer, Aryaman. So, this is a test match, uh, if not a 50 over one day. This is definitely not a T20 of course. Uh, tournament. So, of so, course. and the third thing is, um, you must be prepared for hard work. Um, if you wanna, if you really wanna succeed in this profession, like medicine and like other professions that are very time demanding, uh, there cannot be a compromise to hard work. In the legal profession, it's it's a lot of reading, it's a lot of keeping pace, uh, but it's all very, very remunerative and gratifying at the end of it. Of course, thank you so much, and that brings us to the close of another thought-provoking episode. A huge thank you to our esteemed guest, Mr. Sadvik Varma, for gracing us with his invaluable insights. For more episodes and updates, don't forget to subscribe to the Omelas podcast on the website omelas.podbean.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Omelas podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.